What's up, everybody? It's your boy Caesar from Past the Rock, here with a very special one-on-one solo episode. Unfortunately, I am not joined by my co-host, or rather, I cannot join my co-host, Beth Gee and Patrick, uh, this week. But, because we love you, because we want you to have as much content as possible, I am here doing a solo football episode, four downs, with your boy, Little C's. Let's get to it. We're going to review some of the games uh, that have happened this week, and we're going to preview some other games uh, for the week four season. Now, at the time of recording, it is Monday. Monday Night Football has not happened yet, so I have no idea what the results of those games are, but I'm hoping my Eagles didn't embarrass me against Baker Mayfield after I laughed at Beth Gee's Cowboys in our group chat. So, Patrick, if they win... The Eagles do. Could you could you put something up to here somewhere? Let's me know that they won. Um, and if they lost, I don't know. Find find the best Baker meme that you can find to put on here, or don't. I don't care. I don't. I don't want to put more work on your plate than I'm already doing. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Anyway, so let's talk about it. <sighs> Where to start? But with the Dallas Cowboys in the Arizona Cardinals game. For those of you who have been tuning in, you know that I am the biggest Jonathan Gannon hater. I'm an Eagles fan, and so I cannot rightfully cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. However, I can root against the Arizona Cardinals to fail. However, when both teams come together, the end result is always going to be a win for your boy. Cowboys win. Jonathan Gannon loses and is one step closer to losing his job. Arizona Cardinals win. I get to laugh at the at Beth Gee's Cowboys. Uh, and now if my Eagles were to lose tonight, it's fine. It's even because both teams are 2-1. And, and one team lost to a significantly better team than the other. So, it is what it is. But uh, let's talk about this game. Because I was genuinely shocked about how everything went uh, to be in that game. Alright. I did not anticipate the Arizona Cardinals running all over the Dallas Cowboys defense. If there was any part of the defense that was suspect going into the season, it was the Dallas Cowboys run defense. It was not their strongest suit. They don't have the biggest bodies in the middle. I know they drafted Nazi Smith, who is a bigger guy. He's around 330 pounds, 6'3", if I don't, if I'm not uh, misremembering that. So he's a big guy meant to play the nose tackle, meant to help in aiding the run um, the run defense. However, he's not been getting on the field the whole ton. Uh, it does take time for develop, uh, for defensive tackles to develop. So we may not see the fruits of his labor in year one, unfortunately. Um, and it came back to bite the, uh, the Cowboys in this game. James Conner was running all over the Dallas Cowboys. Hell, you had Joshua Dobbs uh, rip off a 44-yard run. And really, it was just a tough day in general. I mean, they even had Rondell Moore, uh, their wide receiver, get an end-around touchdown on a run play. Um, they, they really had that defense in the spin cycle. Now, with all that said and done, at no point did I ever feel like it was the Dallas Cowboys who were really in danger because the Arizona Cardinals have proven in the first half they have been playing tough. They've been playing really well. They've been putting points on the board. That second half, 
they collapsed in against Washington and then against New York. They were awful in those situations. Their, their lack of talent really showed, and uh, I really thought it was going to happen. I really thought the Dallas Cowboys would overcome their offensive line issues. They were missing three starters along the offensive line. However, I thought with that, they could still generate offense. They could still get the ball to C.D. Lamb. They could get Tony Pollard going. And it was just a rough showing all across the board. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence, Michael Parsons on the defense, they got their stats in. They got their sacks. They made their presence known. However, when it came to the run game, unfortunately, they're getting run on just as much as anybody else. At one point, I can't believe I saw this. I saw Zach Ertz, who was not a great blocker, block Micah Parsons one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and I don't remember if it was a pass or a run play, but I, I saw them at the bottom of the screen right there. I was like, no fucking way did that just happen. And that should have been a sign that this was the Cardinals game to win. Because uh, Michael, Michael Parsons is one of the best defenders on the planet. And just getting stopped on one play, I mean, you'd think it's, like, bound to happen, but him one-on-one with a tight end, that tight end should not stand a chance. Either way, back to the game. Yeah, uh, it's tough. You know, when you have four possessions inside the 10-yard line and you come away with two field goals, I believe it was, and then a turnover... And then I, I already forgot what the other result was. I think it was a miskicked, if I'm not totally mistaken. However, when half of your trips, half of your trips to the red zone, inside of 10, do not come up with any points. That is a recipe for failure. It's a recipe for disaster. This Cowboys offense was moving the ball, but it's like once they got inside the red zone, it was wild that they couldn't get the ball in. And I don't know if it's because they didn't trust their offensive line to get any push, um, if they don't think that Tony Pollard is built for runs in between the tackles to get those tough yardage, because he is a slender-framed running back. He's not the biggest dude. I mean, he is tall, but he's six foot, listed at around 205 pounds, so he's not really built. You know, with Ezekiel Elliott, despite him not having a lot of juice in his legs the last couple seasons in Dallas, you could count on him for some tough yardage. Some tough yard runs, um, some short runs that are meant to get, you know, three, two, anything to get pushing into the uh, first down or touchdown uh, results. But unfortunately, they don't really have that back on the on the roster. Uh, so it was tough. I mean, you could, in theory, play Dak Prescott that way, like he was played at Mississippi State that way. However, with all of his uh, injury history, I get not wanting to put him in any kind of predicament where he is forced to get some tough yards uh, inside the red zone. All those big bodies coming at him, I, I get it, but still, it's maddening to watch. Even if you're not a fan, if you just love the game of football, watching that was a really, really frustrating experience. Um, but if you're not, but if you know, you're a hater. If you love to hate on the Dallas Cowboys, that was a funny, <laughs> that was a funny set of results. So, game ends 28-16. Dallas has a get-right game against the New England Patriots, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit.
But for now, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, for those of you who watched or heard last week's episode, you knew that I put this Chargers-Vikings game as our train wreck of the week. For good reasons. Because these are two teams that know how to do that. That's what they do to their families. Right? They take defeat from the jaws of victory and just snatch that. And, uh, you know, I really thought that this was a game that was going to end in a tie. However, it ends in a 28-24 to victory in favor of the Chargers. And, um, God, it wouldn't be a Minnesota Chargers game if it wasn't for some wacky plays and some wacky stats. And let's talk about it. Justin Herbert. 40 of 47 for 405 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he has the uh, NFL record for highest completion percentage uh, on 45 or more attempts with 85% completion. All that, and you still come away with just a four-point win. A four-point win. And not to mention... Chargers really tried really hard to let Minnesota win because they failed on a QB sneak, turnover on downs, and they, by the grace of whatever football deity looks over this snake-bitten franchise, saw the Minnesota Vikings blow it when they couldn't get a, according to reports, Kirk Cousins could not hear the play call from Kevin O'Connell. Time is running down, and one thing leads to another, and of course, you get the final result. Kirk Cousins' interception, uh, it was intended for Hawkinson. Intercepted by Kenneth Murray, who, from what I'm seeing from Chargers Twitter, he is not the talk of the town. He is not a beloved player there. And uh, I want to correct myself when I said it was a QB sneak that failed. No, it was a Joshua Kelly run uh, that failed uh, from the Chargers on their final possession of the game, or their second-to-last uh, possession of the game. Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you on this game. Pat, my heart goes out to you and your team. Uh, that's a rough way to, uh, to experience that. Kirk Cousins tried his damnedest besides that interception, you know, 32 of 50, 367, three TDs, however, intercepted, four sacks. And then the Minnesota Vikings continue to have fumble issues. They lost the fumble, which puts them on eight fumbles for the season. They had 14, if I'm remembering that stat correctly, last season. So they're already on pace to, to not just match that, but eclipse it um, so they need to get that figured out uh, there's only so much that you can do schematically in this situation if you're the Minnesota Vikings they chose violence uh, with Brian Flores' aggressive blitz heavy scheme and it came back to bite them Justin Herbert again had a great game Still, this is a team that like had to rely on him and had to rely on Justin Herbert because they don't have um, Austin Eckler. They have Joshua Kelly, Isaiah Spiller. 
to the tune of 15 carries for 30 yards. This is a bad run game without Austin Eckler. It is one-dimensional. You force this team to just essentially just pass on almost every play. You know what's coming and you can't stop it. And that is just a testament to how bad this Vikings defensive roster is. So this is um, this is definitely something that is going to be the theme of the Vikings season uh, this year. Last year they were, I believe, they won 11 one-score games last year. 11. That is insane. That is unheard of. There's a lot of luck that comes into that, especially when you look at their record. Yes, they won 13 games. However, their point differential was abysmal. You, you do not have teams who regularly have a negative point differential and double-digit wins. Don't see that. The Vikings last year were incredibly lucky in one-score games. This year, three one-score games, 0-3. They're regressing back to the mean. It was always going to happen. They did not do enough to essentially shore up that defense. They got a new coordinator, and there's only so much a new coordinator can do when he doesn't have the guys to make his vision a reality. So right now, Vikings are staring at a really long journey back to the top of the division. Um, Detroit... It's been solid. They're a little up and down. They're not necessarily matching the hype of the offseason, but I don't think they were ever going to. Uh, now I'm thinking about it in retrospect, but it's still a good team. The Packers, they are making it work with Jordan Love. Uh, the only saving grace is that you cannot be worse than Chicago right now. So there's your silver lining. Uh, Vikings fans, Patrick, is that. At least you're not as bad as Chicago. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, going forward. This is a team that could be in sell mode if things continue to spiral down. They could trade Kirk Cousins to the New York Jets, who desperately need a quarterback. Zach Wilson is not it. He is awful. Garbage. He is, if you took a bag of dog shit, you lit it on fire, Threw it in a dumpster. That dumpster has a bunch of kerosene in it. Uh, and then that dumpster gets lit on fire. That is what it's like watching Zach Wilson. <sighs> it's, uh... This is, he, this is the perfect opportunity for the Jets and the Vikings to become trade partners. Who knows? Maybe you can restock on defense. Or just get a draft pick. Whatever it is. You gotta figure it out somehow. But uh, yeah, that's the review of both Bethany's Cowboys, uh, Patrick's Vikings. Let's move on now to reviewing, or sorry, previewing uh, the games to be. What we're going to uh, preview first is the Minnesota Vikings at the Carolina Panthers. This has to be a get right game for the Minnesota Vikings. Absolutely has to. You're 0-3. This is must-win if you want any chance of the playoffs. And you could not pick a better opponent than a struggling Carolina Panthers team. All right, Whether it's Andy Dalton or Bryce Young behind center, 
you know, under center. This is a team that does not have a lot going for it along the offensive line on the outside. And as much as I have a lot of love for Miles Sanders in his time in Philadelphia, he is very much a flawed running back. And so this is this is not the greatest of teams offensively. We've seen it. They stunk up the joint on Monday Night Football, and you know it's just it's not a team that's built to win. I think a lot of teams had, or a lot of uh, you know writers, a lot of bloggers, a lot of people on podcasts probably had the, the Carolina Panthers as like a dark horse to win the NFC South because it is, you know, on paper probably a pretty bad division. However, it's proving not to be the case. Tampa Bay is pretty good. Atlanta despite their hiccup against um, Detroit. And then the Saints um, blowing a 17-0 lead. It's it's proven to be a lot more feisty division than I think I and many people gave it credit for. So uh, this is the battle of, of bottom dollars right now. But what I think gives Minnesota the edge, and these are going to be the keys to victory that I'm presenting to you guys, is that they don't have anybody who can stop Justin Jefferson. Get Justin Jefferson the ball. He is the best receiver in the game. Maybe 1A him, 1B Tyreek Hill. However you want to rank those guys, that's up to you. However, Justin Jefferson is the best of the best. Or if he's not the best, he's in that top three, right? And also, take care of the goddamn football. I know you don't have much of a run game, so you're going to be reliant upon Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, uh, TJ Hawkinson. That offensive line is not very good. But you're not facing an elite defense in Carolina. You're just not. They have some great pieces. You know, they have Brian Burns. They have uh, Jeremy Chen. They have young athletic guys over there however it's just not a good team so if you're Minnesota you're just gonna have to pass the ball and take care of it take care of it I know it's hard because they have eight fumbles and there should be maybe more details or more nuanced um, keys to victory in this but really just boils down to get the ball in your best players hands and make sure the ball doesn't leave any other player's hands. Alright. Now for the Carolina Panthers. With their keys to victory. If the Vikings put the ball on the ground. Take the ball away. Take the ball and try to take advantage of an aggressive scheme that the Vikings are running. Alright. That's what the Chargers did. They blitzed and blitzed. Justin Herbert was good enough against the Blitz. More than good enough. He was great against the Blitz. And he got himself into the record books with it. Okay? So, whether it's Andy Dalton or Bryce Young, you just, you have the game plan to have hot routes built into your concepts. You need to be able to run offensive schemes that take advantage of over-pursuing and overly aggressive players. Now that is easier said than done. Um, Bryce Young does not look comfortable. If he is the one uh, to get the start this week, 
I honestly think Andy Dalton gives him a better chance now. Right now. Because he just... He is a calming presence as a veteran. Whereas Bryce Young, he has a lot higher ceiling than Andy Dalton. However, this season, it does not appear to be the season to play Bryce Young. I think you need to have a serious conversation if you are the Carolina Panthers front office, coaching staff, and ownership group, and say, we want to protect this guy. He is the number one overall pick for a reason. He has to overcome historically small stature, but he has the skill set to do so. However, he does not have the supporting cast right now to be able to overcome all the issues that come with being a rookie quarterback and all the issues with being the smallest rookie quarterback ever drafted. So, this, on paper, should be the Minnesota Vikings game to win. This is absolutely a get-right game. If you don't win this game, Minnesota, your season is done. You might as well ship off Kirk Cousins and tank for Caleb Williams, Drake May. Or hey, if you can talk Shador Sanders into the draft, him as well. So... Right now, I think the Minnesota Vikings have this game. I don't think it's going to be a particularly, like, enthralling game. Uh, but with Minnesota, they are the kings of finding themselves in one-score games. So, in true fashion, I think this, this is a one-score game. They win by a field goal. Uh, but I think the, the game ends up being closer than it actually is. So, hooray Vikings, or Skull Vikings, as uh, the fan base likes to say. Moving on to our next game, New England at Dallas. This game is going to be uh, Ezekiel Elliott's homecoming of sorts. Sorry, get a little thirsty here. Zeke hasn't looked too bad for the uh, for the New England Patriots. He's averaging 4.4 yards a carry right now. He is second in the team in carries behind uh, Ramon Stevenson, who himself. Oh, that's one of my mini dogs. You can say hi to to Loki there. Loki. Uh, Loki. All right, I guess Loki's not gonna say hi. Anyway, back to the game. So, in this game. Zeke, he's going to be the key to victory, I think, for the New England Patriots. This is this is a game that is going to be really ugly. Let me know right now, Cowboys fans. You're going to need to have a stiff drink watching this game. Bill Belichick likes to make things ugly. I saw it in week one with the Philadelphia Eagles, went to New England. This guy knows how to scheme. Clearly, he's one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen in the modern day. Right? He has played through, what, five decades of football? Played, coached through five decades of football. And he keeps up with the times. All right? He is as creative of a defensive mastermind as you, you will ever see. And um, if Dallas does not have 
their full all, their full offensive line, or if they if they're even missing two starters, I can assure you right now, Bill Belichick will scheme up another great defensive plan to take advantage of those missing linemen. Whether it's blitzing in their direction, overloading that side of the defensive line, you can expect to see a lot of weird exotic looks from Bill Belichick. So, that's what you can expect to see from the New England defense. How about their offense? Their offense, nothing to write home about. As I alluded to earlier, Zeke might actually be the key to victory for the New England Patriots. Which is not something you truly want to say in 2023. Mac Jones is a very okay quarterback. He is not a physically gifted quarterback by any means. He does not have a big arm, and he does not have a lot of speed in his legs. I'm sorry, Mac Jones, believers, truthers, your guy is a physically limited quarterback. He reminds me of pre-surgery Chad Pennington um, from the New York Jets. So, and when I mean pre-surgery, I mean Chad Pennington had like, what, three different uh, rotator cuff surgeries. So let's talk about post-first rotator cuff surgery Chad Pennington. A guy who is meant to be an accurate passer of the football, gets the ball out quickly, diagnoses defenses, and tries to win with anticipation tries to win with accuracy from within the pocket because again Mac Jones is not an escape artist neither was Shan Pennington I don't think this is a bad comparison I think this is just and this might be a lazy comparison honestly but it's the one that comes most prevalent into my mind when I think about who Mac Jones reminds me of now Mac Jones is averaging six yards uh, a completion not great that is not what you want to see from your quarterback, but again, he doesn't really have a lot of options on the outside to throw to. Kendrick Bourne is his number one target, and Kendrick Bourne, on a good offense, is probably your third, maybe your second best option. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to be desired on this New England Patriots uh, offense. But the reason that I, I said Zeke will be the key to victory in this one is because watching the new the Dallas defense try to stop James Conner was like pulling teeth because it just was not happening. All right, one thing that Zeke has is he has size. He's a big, tough runner, and one thing that the Dallas defense kind of lacks in situations like this is they don't they're not really big on defense. The more modern NFL game sees smaller defenders, you're you're switching out size and strength for speed. Right? Speed kills. But what happens when you have a big tough guy who doesn't want to go down? Right? Sure, they'll swarm to him quickly, but eventually he might wear them down. So if New England has any hope of putting points on the board against this aggressive uh, and super talented Dallas defense, it is by running the ball like crazy. I'm talking about turning the clock back to like 1980s football where it's run, 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 maybe pass. It is a boring, some no, sometimes boring way of watching football is 
run the ball, play defense. But that's honestly the only way that I see New, New England having a chance against Dallas. Dallas, on the other hand, I mean, let's look at it. Like I said, New England is not good on offense. If you can stop the run and you force Mac Jones to sit in that pocket and try to beat you with his arm, he is going to have a miserable time. He is going to be being picked up off the ground multiple times as he's getting knocked down by Micah Parsons, by Demarcus Lawrence, or Digizua. You name it. Like This guy is in for a, a rough time if they can't get the ball going in the run game. Now, if you establish that lead early, forcing them into those passing situations, well, you've essentially sealed the deal. Now, you got to keep Dak upright as well, and you got to keep um, those back-breaking mistakes from happening, right? Again, like we touched on with the Arizona game, you need if you're in the red zone, you need to establish a way of getting the ball into the end zone, once you get to the red zone. Now, one thing that I saw from uh, one of my favorite writers at the ringer, Ben Solak, he made an, obs an observation in regards to the Cowboys. The way they were moving the ball up and down the field to get to the red zone was spreading everything out. Right? Spreading the ball out, getting the ball in in short, uh, short passes, and then really allowing the run game to work for you through that way. So maybe apply that same concept once you get into the red zone. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a coach. I'm not uh, the most uh, nuanced of football guys, but I got to agree. I, that's what my eyes saw as, as a fan, and um, I can only imagine that once Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys go back and look at the tape, they might agree, or they might see the same things, or may, maybe see something else. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I think that this is a game that the Dallas Cowboys do win. They get right back on track. Uh, I think this, this is a game. It's not going to be a pretty game. I don't expect a, a ton of points, but I think Dallas wins this 21-17. to And now, let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles against the Washington Commanders. This one's going to be a little bit of a tougher game for me to talk about. Um, mostly because by the time I get this to Patrick, Monday Night Football will still have not happened. So I will have no idea if the Philadelphia Eagles have fixed their issues in the passing game. Um, and if they have found ways to make up for their lackluster talent at the linebacking and safety positions. However... Despite not knowing what they do on Monday Night Football at as the time of this recording, I do know what Washington looks like. And boy, let me tell you something. So, first two weeks of the season, Sam Howell's looking like a pretty decent quarterback. Let's, let's not lie. Like, is it the prettiest always? No. Is he hanging on to the ball way too long based on the way that... <laughs> The sack rate is going for him. Yes, he is. Right now, Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders are facing a sack rate of 16% of his dropbacks. For you guys to get like a 
of a historical perspective, the most sacked quarterback of all time. All right, uh, the most uh, sacked quarterback of all time in terms of percentage, David Carr, when he was joining an expansion team in the Houston Texans, his rate was 14%. The rate that he faced a sack on his dropbacks was 14%. Sam Howell's on his pay on a historic pace right now. 16% of his dropbacks end in a sack. Either he is holding the ball too long or that line is atrocious. And I don't think that line is that bad. I think it's a very okay to average line. But Sam Howell, he is, you know, he's a first-year starter. These are gonna, these things will happen to most uh, first-year starters, holding onto the ball, looking to make a big play, not necessarily trusting what they see at first. And you know, despite some really good offensive performances from the Washington Commanders in the first two weeks of the year. You know, you had 20 points against the Cardinals, which this is a really spunky Cardinals team like we mentioned. So um, that's not a bad performance, especially when they came back from a deficit to put up those 20 points. And then a 35-33 to 33, uh, performance against the Broncos. Now they did get skunked by the Buffalo Bills. Absolutely just dog walked 37 to 3 and this was again the worst performance that we have seen from Sam Howell he had four interceptions and was sacked nine times you cannot anticipate that the, uh, the commanders will do this again will allow this to happen again despite the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles are very talented on the defensive line it is a rivalry game this is a coaching staff and Ron Rivera staff that has seen Nick Sirianni now for the last three seasons. He more or less has an idea of what to expect from the defense. Yes, it's a brand new defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, but schematically, it's not all that different. What is different from Sean Desai versus Jonathan Gannon is philosophically. Whereas Jonathan Gannon had a very conservative approach. His defenses had no teeth because he himself did not throw a lot of curveballs to the opposing offenses. He expected his guys to just line up, play, and just be better than the other, than the other side. And last year, that was great up until the Super Bowl. But the year before, it was terrible. All right? So many quarterbacks. So many. I want to say it was at least six, six quarterbacks. Had completion percentages of 80% or more against the Philadelphia Eagles. Sean Desai comes in and he is a little bit more aggressive. His his defensive unit may not put up the same numbers last year last year's units did, but I think any reasonable Eagles fan came into this season knowing that that was going to be the case. What we were expecting from Sean Desai is that when it matters most, he will be more flexible with his scheme, with his philosophy. He will throw the change-ups when they need to be thrown. And against a guy like Sam Howell, I don't know if you really need to do that, right? Let's look at this. I'm going to I want to I want you to guys, I want you guys to see what he has done in his first 3 starts of the year. 
All right, against the Cardinals, 19 of 31, 202 passes, uh, 202 passing yards, touchdown, interception, six sacks, six. All right, against the Broncos, probably his best game of the year to start. He had 27 of 39 for 299 yards, two TDs, no picks, still sacked four times. Okay, and that was a game. That the Washington Commanders were again behind. So it is admirable that the guy is able to lead his team to a comeback. However, your play is what's getting your teams in situations where you have to come back. And against the Buffalo Bills, who, if you watch that game, it's not like they were necessarily firing on all cylinders. This was a team that had another crazy Josh Allen game. And Josh Allen didn't even play particularly amazing. 20 of 32, 218, one touchdown, one interception, no sacks. No sacks, it's a very important stat. This is a team that heavily like relied on the run game a lot. And uh, as far as Sam Howell, 19 of 29, 170 yards, four interceptions, nine sacks, like I mentioned. It's been rough uh, in a lot of spots, and it's been good in some spots. Uh, which is what you typically will expect from a first-year starter. So, what do we expect in this game? This is his first time facing the Philadelphia Eagles. And honestly, you might expect more of the same. This is a talented Eagles pass rush, like I've mentioned. Uh, this is not the greatest of teams in Washington from a, from a talent standpoint, but they have some guys. And if they're able to attack where Philadelphia's weakest, which is linebacker and safety, they have a chance to win. Defensively, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to confuse Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, to start the season, has faced two madmen at defensive coordinators in Bill Belichick and his protege, Brian Flores. He's going to be facing Todd Bowles on Monday Night Football, who had his number in 2021. All right? These are guys who are going to be very aggressive, very outside of the box, all right? But I think one thing that's the most common thing that they do is they drop eight. They drop eight and they force Jalen Hurts to stand back in that pocket and think, all right? And this is not a knock on Jalen Hurts by any means, but any time that you get a quarterback to have to think hold on to the ball that allows those pass rushers to get home that forces the quarterback to maybe make a decision that he would not normally make under normal circumstances so whether you're rushing whether you're dropping like six dropping seven maybe versus dropping eight that quarterback would probably make a different decision based on each and every single one of those different uh, uh, coverage drops so, on this game, you're going to have to confuse Jalen Hurts, and you're going to have to, have to, have to keep Sam Howell upright, somehow, someway. And if that's getting the ball out quickly and attacking the middle of the field, attacking those linebackers, then so be it. Death by a thousand paper cuts. That's what this Vic Fangio-inspired defense that Sean Desai runs is going to be susceptible to is death by a thousand paper cuts.
So now, what's the keys for Philly? Well, they can't kill you with a thousand paper cuts if they never get the ball. And by that, I mean establish the run early. You have such a talented offensive line. You have these maulers who get after it. You have one of the best, if not the best, run game coordinator and uh, offensive line coach in Jeff Stoutland. So, hey, you're going to just have to run the ball and force all the defenders to creep up into the box. From there, that's when you're going to throw it over the top to your plethora of offensive weapons. AJ, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. You have three absolute studs on the outside. All right. Force of Washington to sell out against the run. Take advantage of them in the air later in the game. And as far as defense goes, just unleash those beasts on the defensive line. Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat. These guys are playing out of their mind. They may not be putting up the sack numbers that they did last season, but the pressure rate is getting there. They are getting to the quarterbacks. They are forcing them into making uncomfortable decisions. And Darius Slay, despite the numbers that uh, Justin Jefferson put up against him, and despite whatever numbers are given up, if he goes up against um, Mike Evans on Tampa Bay, he's still an elite coverage guy who can make a play on the ball. And if the ball is in his hand, we've seen it before, he can take it to the house. So if he's able to get his hands on the ball, I expect really good things to happen. So... I expect Philadelphia to win this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means because this is, again, a divisional game. I suspect that this is a 27-20 victory in favor of the Philadelphia Eagles. And, yeah, let's get down to the last bit of this. This is running a lot longer than I anticipated, but I forget. When I'm talking football, I can talk for a really long time. So, here we go. Usually... With my co-host, we do must-watch, skip, train wreck. Unfortunately, we will not have a conversation about this uh, where we vote on it amongst my co-hosts. So, we're just going to do must-watch, skip, train wreck, solo season edition. On this one, how can I not put the Miami Dolphins versus the Buffalo Bills on the must-watch list? Yes, every pick the must-watch has not gone the way that I thought it would. It has not been a must-watch by any means. Uh, games that I thought would be shootouts. Games that I thought would be Big 12-style. Uh, just air it out, throw it around the yard types of football games have not happened. This, this might finally be the one. Miami coming off a 70. 70-7-0 point performance against the Denver Broncos up against the Buffalo Bills. This is a divisional rivalry. These are two young quarterbacks, super talented, but in vastly different ways, where you see Josh Allen, who is built like a fucking freight train. He, let's look, let's face it, he's kind of built like a white Cam Newton. His feet don't look as like grounded as Cam Newton's does, 
uh, but they both have very similar running styles. Passing the ball, they're not too dissimilar, but they're not exactly the same guy. Um, Josh Allen's really streaky. Uh, when he is on, he looks every bit the counterpart to Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, whenever he is on. But when he is off, holy shit, you do not know what you're going to get. You do not know what is going through the mind of Josh Allen at any given point. And then you pose him to Tua Tangovaloa, who, shorter guy, 6'1", about 210 pounds. He's not much of a runner. He's not a threat to run. He's a guy who is entire game is built around anticipation and accuracy all right he is going to try to pick you apart from within the pocket and he has been doing that and he's been doing it in the weirdest fucking way for those of you who know what intended air yards are that is completely different from the completion average that you may see in a box score right now to a tie of a lower has one of the quickest times to throw, 2.1 seconds to throw. That is, I believe, the second lowest time. That means he's getting the ball in his hand, he's gripping it, ripping it, and you would expect anybody who has a time like that to be throwing shallow, to be throwing short of the sticks. His intended air yards are 10 yards. That is insane. I don't think you guys understand how insane that actually is. Okay? Because that means he is throwing the ball down the field before his guys are even open, before he even knows if that window is actually open. But the way that this Miami's Dolphins offense is schemed up, it doesn't fucking matter. You have Tyreek Hill, you have Jalen Waddle, Robbie Chosen Anderson. You have Dovon Aging, Raheem Mostert. You have five of the absolute fastest players in the NFL on offense. Alright? And then, not that he's a scrub by any means, Mike Kosicki, who was a solid tight end. You have so much to choose from. So he is just throwing to these windows that aren't even open yet. But by the time the ball gets there, they are open. They are open and they are getting yards after the catch. This Miami's Dolphins offense is insane to see. And we need to give credit real quick to Bill Belichick who schemed up a great plan that held that team to just 24 points on Sunday Night Football. Just 24. Because we look at Vance Joseph who is not a bad defensive coordinator. Broncos fans, I know you've had some like you haven't had the greatest history with him, but he has a good reputation around the league of being a really solid defensive coordinator who has some pretty good schemes. And he got pants. I'm sorry that that happened to you guys. Um, not really sorry because Sean Payne's kind of a scumbag asshole who deserves it and probably would have gone for the points record if he had a chance. But that's neither here nor there. There's my dog again, one of many, uh, who he's tired. He's a sleepy boy. Anyway, this is a game that I hope we see the points fly. Now, this could either be, because because of the volatility that is Josh Allen, this could be a game 
where Josh Allen throws the game away and Miami has another giant blowout victory. Or if Josh Allen is on and if Tua Tagovailoa on the other side of the side is able to stay upright, stay healthy, and they're on as well, we could potentially have game of the year candidate right here in week four. This is our must-watch game for a reason. Now, let's move on to skip it. Because this game, oh, this game is going to be so fucking bad. Look at me. Look at me. This game is not worth a minute of your time. I don't care if you're a fan of either of these teams. Do something else with your day. I am begging you. I implore you. Skip the Denver Broncos versus the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears have had the weirdest start to the season. Off field, with their defensive coordinator getting his home rated. To their quarterback, Justin Fields, throwing their offensive coordinator under the bus, retracting his statements, then purposely finding his offensive coordinator with cameras around, giving him a hug, letting you know everything's okay. Matt Eberflus, you are out of your element. You should not have been hired as the head coach. It's not your fault. But you should not have been hired as the head coach to be paired with Justin Fields. Now, I want to believe in Justin Fields so bad. I saw the immense talent that he was at Ohio State. This is a guy who was as confident of a thrower as there was in college during his time there, with maybe only Trevor Lawrence as, as a better prospect, as a better thrower. But now, he is a shell of his former self. He is scared behind that pocket. He does not trust his eyes. He does not trust his teammates. His teammates do not trust him. The coaching staff doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust his coaching staff. It is a mess. Sean Payton and the Broncos, on the other hand, they're just never meant to work. They're just never meant to work. Sean Payton, you came out of retirement. You were slandering other coaches as a way to try to generate interest in you. And what have you built up an open three record? You do not look that much better as a head coach than Nathaniel Hackett did last season. You don't. You might have Russell Wilson looking a little bit better in the box score, but the eye test shows me that this Russell Wilson is still not all that good anymore. Right? He's still overly reliant on throwing deep and out from outside of the pocket. He cannot see in the pocket because he does not see over his line. He does not trust the windows that the schemes open up from when he is in the pocket. He does not throw it to the middle of the field. He makes his offenses one-dimensional. And again, that defense clearly doesn't look any good either. There's going to be a lot of punts in this game. There's going to be a lot of frustrating uh, uh, sequences on offense. This is just not worth your time. All right? This is more time than I wanted to talk about that game. But I just couldn't help it. You know, I got worked up. So... Skip Denver versus Chicago. Or, if you know you're a psychopath, don't. I don't know. Anyway, let's get to the final part of this segment. It's the train wreck. Las Vegas versus Los Angeles. Raiders versus Chargers. 
dog, what can I say? This is a Chargers team that you just don't know what you're going to get on any given week. They have some of the worst defensive performances on a week-to-week basis. They have some of the most frustrating offensive play calls on a week-to-week basis over the course of many years across different coaching regimes, front office regimes. doesn't matter who their quarterback is. doesn't matter who's on that roster. This is a team that will induce anxiety amongst their fans and just continue the ways of Chargers are going to charge her. And then this Las Vegas Raiders team... If you saw their game Sunday night, you're just, you were left with a lot of head-scratching moments, especially Josh McDaniels being inside of that 10-yard line, going for a field goal when in the previous possession they went for eight. Right? They are down eight points. They have the ball in, in the red zone, and they go for a field goal, meaning they're still down a score. They still have to get the ball back and score just to take the lead. Where if they just go for a touchdown and another two-point conversion, they can tie the game up. Maddening play play calls from that. He's a conservative head coach. He's not aggressive. He's not a leader of men. This Raiders team is not going to win a lot of games. Despite the presence of Devontae Adams on the offense, He's frustrated with that team. I think anybody who roots for that team is frustrated with that team. This is just a game where something ridiculous is going to happen. And it's going to fit the moniker of the train wreck game of the week. And yeah, with all that said, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Thank you for my co-hosts for being understanding of me not being able to be there for our typical recordings. I can assure you next week I should be there. Fingers crossed, and we'll talk more football, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you again.